Welcome to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. May the Word of God be a blessing to you. Connect with us and consider giving online at lifespringchurch.us. Well, Tom, it sure sounds like you're busy with your job. I'm sure they pay you well, but it's a shame. You have to be away from your home and your family so much. Hard to believe a young fellow like you should have to work 60 or even 70 hours a week just to make ends meet. Too bad you missed your daughter's recital this last week. He continued, let me tell you something, Tom, something that has helped me keep a good perspective on my priorities. And that's when he began to explain his theory of a thousand marbles. You see, I sat down one day and did a little arithmetic. The average person lives about 75 years. I know some live more, some live less. But on average, folks live about 75 years. Now then, I multiplied 75 times 52. I came up with 3,900, which is a number of Saturdays that the average person has in their entire lifetime. Now stick with me, Tom. I'm getting to the important part. (coughs) It took me until I was 55 years old to think about all of this in any detail, he went on. And by that time, I had lived through 2,800 Saturdays. I got to thinking that if I lived to be 75, only had about 1,000 of them left to enjoy. So I went to a toy store and bought every single marble they had. I ended up having to visit three toy stores to round up a thousand marbles. So this is before Google and Amazon. So I took them home and put them inside of a large clear plastic container right here in my workshop next to the radio. Every Saturday since then, I've taken one marble out and thrown it away. I found that by watching the marbles diminish, I focused more on the really important things in life. There's nothing like watching your time here on this earth run out to help you get your priorities straight. Now let me tell you one last thing before I sign off with you and take my lovely wife out for breakfast. This morning, I took the very last marble out of the container. I figure if I make it till next Saturday, then God has blessed me with a little extra time to be with my loved ones. It was nice to talk to you, Tom. I hope you spend more time with your loved ones, and I hope to meet you again someday. Have a good morning. You could have heard a pin drop when he finished. Even the show's moderator didn't have anything to say for a few moments. I guess he gave us all a lot to think about. I had planned to do some work that morning, then go to the gym and work out. Instead, I went upstairs, woke my wife up with a kiss. Come on, honey. I'm taking you and the kids to breakfast today. What brought this on, she asked with a smile. Oh, nothing special, I said. It's just been a long time since we spent Saturday together with the kids. Hey, can we stop at a toy store while we're out? 
I need to buy some marbles. Again, hold that marble in your hand the whole time that I'm ministering here today. I want to read again Psalm chapter 90 and verse 12. So teach us to number our days. That way we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. I know that my message here on this holiday weekend with the sun shining bright is going to sound a little bit morbid. But with all the funerals and death that we have been around the last many months, the importance of life and the brevity of life is heavily on my mind. If you live to be 75, that will be 900 months, which is 3,900 weeks or 27,375 days, which is 657,000 hours, which is 39,420,000 minutes, or 2,365,200,000 seconds. Now you know why you're so tired. But you may ask here this morning, why is the guest evangelist talking about numbers? Why is he on this beautiful holiday weekend talking about how many days might be left in our life? And you may also ask, why is that subject of any importance? The book of James chapter 4. And verse 14, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. Now then James asked a five-word question, for what is your life? Then he answers that question saying, it's a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then it vanisheth away. When you look back in Psalm chapter 90, you notice that the writer of Psalm chapter 90 was not our beloved David, but the writer of Psalm chapter 90 was none other than Moses. And that of all the 150 chapters that made it into the canon of the psalm, only one was written by Moses, and it was a prayer that Moses had prayed. When you look at the psalm, David wrote 73 of the psalms. Solomon wrote two. The Ezraite and the scholars debate, it was possibly Heman or Ethan, I'll let them figure it out, wrote two. Korah wrote 11. Asaph wrote 12. But Moses wrote one. The remaining 49, it does not mention who wrote those other 49 psalms. When they, when they begin to put and dissect the Bible and put different psalms in different categories, 
they put Psalm chapter 90 uh, into the faith psalm category along with five other chapters in the book of Psalm. Again, of all the hundreds, maybe even thousands of prayers that Moses prayed, this was the only prayer that Moses prayed that made it into the canon of the psalm. Let's look how Moses starts his prayer in Psalm chapter 90 and verse 1. He said, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. And uh, Moses was saying that even when I was just a little baby and all of my contemporaries were being murdered uh, by the decree of the current Pharaoh there in Egypt, my mother bucked and went against the system and she made a little basket and put me in the river. He said, you were with me then. Every of the hundreds, even thousands of my contemporaries were being murdered just like that daily. He said, you were with me then. He said, when I was adopted by a foreign nationality and raised in a foreign environment, you were with me then. Moses said, when I uh, got mad and lost my temper and I committed murder, he said, you were with me then. Even when I fled for my life and I was uh, uh, hurting or watching a whole bunch of sheep year after year after year, you were with me then. In other words, if the song that we sang earlier about the goodness of God would have been written then, Moses probably would have been singing that song about how good that God had been to him in every generation of his life. Psalm chapter 90, uh, verse 1, reminds me of an ordeal that my wife and I went through last year. Uh, we, uh, let's see here, trying to get our story straight here. We had uh, been out of town on a long evangelistic trip, got back in town in time to help our daughter and uh, her toddlers, our grandchildren, while she was having twins. Yes, they're the best-looking babies in all the world. My grandkids are. And hopefully the grandparents feel that way about yours. Anyway, I, I digress there just a little bit. And anyway, here uh, we had been watching them because she was having the twins and then they was in NICU. And we had just got home. We'd been home about an hour. And my wife got a call from the trauma center across the street from where we live, and her mother had been involved in a horrible automobile accident at the age of 87. Uh, long story short, my mother-in-law was, her family was part of some of the original independent oneness Pentecostal groups there in Kansas City, where we're from. And back in the 30s, there were several independent oneness groups scattered around town. In 1955, Winifred Black came to Kansas City and he started the church at 4th and Harrison and consolidated a lot of those independent oneness groups that my mother-in-law was a part of. So she had received the baptism of the Holy Ghost 
there in 8th and Olive in Kansas City in around 1940. And so throughout her life, uh, there was a lot of good times, a lot of bad times, a lot of pluses and a lot of minuses, a lot of advances and a lot of reversals. That's how life is. Matter of fact, my wife's eldest brother was stillborn, and so she had to deal with that as just a young mother. And so throughout her whole life of living for the Lord, there was the good, the bad, the ugly, the in-between. But after she had this automobile accident, and now uh, it was not looking well, and so they brought hospice in, and the last words that we heard my mother-in-law say uh, in English that we could understand before she went into an unconscious state. After living for God for 80 years, the last words that we heard her say in English were, the Lord is good. Exactly what Psalm 90 and 1 was talking about where Moses said, Lord, you have been my dwelling place in every phase, every aspect, every part of my life. If he's been good to you here today, just lift your hands and your voice and give him some praise today. Hallelujah. In Psalm chapter 39, verse 4 and verse 5, the writer says, Lord, make me to know my end and the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as a hand of breath. Everybody hold your hand out like this. A hand breath is from here to here. The writer said it's so short. I can actually see it. That's what a hand breath is. And mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity, Selah. It looks like, and I'm thankful here today, that the majority of us stood in front of the vanity cabinet, did our hair in the vanity mirror, and the psalmist said, at my best state, it's nothing but vanity. I want to read Psalm 39, verse 4 and verse 5 again, out of the message. Tell me what's going on, God. How long do I have to live? Give me the bad news. You've kept me on pretty short rations. My life is a stream too short to be saved. Oh, we're all puffs of air. Oh, we're all shadows in a campfire. Oh, we're just spit in the wind. I personally have applied 
Psalm chapter 90 and verse 12 to my life. If I live to be 80 years of age, I only have 6,932 days left. I turned 61 last month. Thank you. I know I don't look like that with my gray hair and everything. So I only have 6,932. I know that this subject can sound morbid here today, but I'm smack dab in the middle of the Word of God. Again, let's read Psalm chapter 90 and verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Hold that marble in your hand, please. When I look at Moses' only shot at a prayer that he prayed, make it into the canon of the psalm. I love what Moses included. But what really intrigues me is what Moses did not say. Let's look at what Moses could have said uh, in a book that I read years ago. I want to kind of pull out that just for a little bit. Theologians say there were three to five million Jews that left Egypt to go to Canaan. Let's say three million on the conservative side. According to the quartermaster general of the army, it is reported that Moses would have to have 1,500 tons of food each day. It would take two freight trains, each a mile long would be required. It would take 4,000 tons of wood to cook their food and a few more freight trains each a mile long just to carry the wood. It would take 11 million gallons of water each day to drink, cook, and bathe with. A train with tank cars would be 1,800 miles long just to bring in the water each day. To get across the Red Sea, if they went double file, the line would be 800 miles long. It would take them 35 days and nights to get through. In order for 3 million people to cross the Red Sea in one night's time, the Red Sea had to roll back 3 miles, and they walked 5,000 abreast to get across. When I look at the things that Moses could have included, Moses did not talk about miracles. Again, of all the hundreds, maybe even thousands of the prayers that Moses prayed in his lifespan, only one made it into the canon of the psalm. Not once did he talk about supernatural. Not once did he talk about miracles. Not once did he talk about signs. Not once did he talk about wonders. Moses did not talk about 
that he threw his staff down and it became a snake. And he reached down and grabbed it by the tail and it became a staff again. Moses did not talk about taking that same staff, stretch it over the Nile River and all the waters in Egypt turned crimson red blood. He didn't talk about smiting the rock. 11 million gallons of water coming out. Moses didn't talk about any of that. But Moses' only chance at a prayer that he prayed, make it into the kin of the psalm, Moses did say, teach us to number our days. That way we can apply our hearts unto wisdom. He said, when I number my days, I can look in front of me. I can look at what God has for me. Moses did not say, I want you to turn around and be a victim over the things in your past. Moses didn't say, I want you to look behind you. Moses didn't say, uh, well, I wasn't even raised in the house with my parents. I was brought up alone in a foreign country. Moses could have complained. Moses could have said he was a victim. Moses could have talked about the, I wished I should have, would have, and could have. But Moses didn't talk about the past. Moses said, I want you to number your days. I want you to look in front of you. I want you to look at the possibilities in your life. I want you to look forward about what God wants to do in your life. Oh, let's worship the Lord together right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let every individual life spring look in front of them. Every single one of us could cry over things in the past, but Moses said, I want you to look in front of you. I want you to number your days. I want you to look at what God can do through your life. Hallelujah. The book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 2. If my wife comes to the keyboard, she's going to help me finish the rest of this. It says, a time to be born and a time to die. Again, I'm below 7,000 on the number of days that I have left in my life. I ask this beautiful congregation here today, when I number my days, and that marble in your hand represents today, what am I going to do with today? And when I look and see I'm applying my heart to wisdom, what's the most important thing in life? And that's to be rapture ready. That's to be ready for the coming of the Lord. How do I get ready for the coming of the Lord? Thank you for asking. Repent of your sins. Doesn't take long. Be baptized in Jesus' name. And then filled with the Spirit. Evidence speaking in other tongues. That's the most important thing in this world. Is to make sure I'm ready for the coming of the Lord. 
the most number one thing is to love God, follow God, seek after God, read the Word of God, pray. Make sure I'm here every time the doors is open and model my life after the Word of God. Because once that marble is gone, there's another for tomorrow. They're going down quickly, quickly, quickly. And when I look at what's most important in life, that's what Moses said then. I could arrange my priorities. What's the second most important thing? This is my relationship with my spouse. Making sure she's also rapture ready. That we love God together. And then thirdly would be the children. You may say, why do we put children so far down the list? I pastored folks who lived for their kids. And they didn't have a relationship with each other. And then when the kids got married and left home, parents separated because they didn't know one another hardly. They were just living for the kids. Number four, job, career, ministry. You may say, why is that bottom of the list? Because it's the least important thing in life. The number one thing in life is to make sure I'm ready for the coming of the Lord. Please, nobody leave out this door today unless you know you're rapture ready. Unless you know you're ready for the coming of the Lord. If you've experienced a new birth plan of salvation, I ask you here today, is there any offense in your life? Is there any unforgiveness of your life in your life? Is everything clear between you and God? And everything clear where you're ready if the rapture should take place today? Life for my wife to see. It matters. attention to verse 2.
day. And Moses said, teach us to number our days. That way we can make the right choices. That way we can make the right decisions. That way the decisions we make are reflected on eternity. And it's got eternity-based value to them. The latter part of Revelation chapter 12 and verse 12. When you look at that verse of Scripture, Revelation 12 and 12, uh, talking about Satan having great, the devil has come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth he hath but a short time. Satan has numbered his days and he knows they're short. I challenge live spring here today. Number your days. The coming of the Lord is soon. And I've got to make sure that I'm ready for the coming of the Lord. I've got to make sure God's number one in my life. I ask this section over here. Are you ready for the coming of the Lord? Have you repented of your sins? Been baptized in Jesus' name? Received the infilling of the Holy Ghost, evidence speaking in other tongues? I ask this side over here. Are you rapture ready? You ready for the coming of the Lord? Have you repented of your sins? Have you been baptized in Jesus' name? Have you received his spirit, evidence by speaking in other tongues? If not, it can happen today. It doesn't take long to repent. I'm sure it would make Pastor's Day to baptize somebody on Labor Day weekend. And God will fill you with this spirit here today. If you are rapture ready, you follow the plan of salvation. Are you freshly and currently repented? Like David, he repented daily of known and unknown sin. Is there any unforgiveness in my life? Do I have aught against anyone in my life? Am I ready for the coming of the Lord? And the other thing I want to ask, is God number one? Is the Word of God number one? The house of God number one? Prayer number one in my life? Let's all stand. I'm numbering my days today. We're following Psalm chapter 90 and verse 12. And I'm helping get all my priorities straight. So today, God, I want to make sure I rearrange all my priorities to make sure I'm ready for the coming of the Lord. Thank you for listening to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. Join us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit us online at lifespringchurch.us.